And welcome to yet another rousing episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And together we form The Dice Are Screaming Podcast. We are your dice men and your co-hosts for tonight's rousing round of entertainment and buffoonery. <laughs> well, yeah, more buffoonery than entertainment. Yeah. We are the sad trombone of oh. gaming podcasts. Wah, yeah. Well, better than being the rusty trombone. We are the Charlie... Oh, ow. Yeah, yeah well, okay, we're, we're definitely not the rusty trombone of gaming pot. Actually, I'm kind of envious. And we, I should have done that one instead. Yeah, could have been. <laughs> oh, the podcast that could have been with that one. Oh, my. The rusty venture. <laughs> oh. No, uh, the, the Charlie Brown teacher of gaming pot. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, that's what we sound like. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Well, um, welcome to the show. And, of course, tonight we have a... We were to have a special guest, but he came down with Concrud. Back from Gary Con. Pat Galligan will not be able to attend tonight, so we're postponing that till he's healthier and better. And back from his trip from Phoenix. So. When he's no longer contagious, we will welcome him at this table. Yeah, that's right. Ah. Uh. However, until then, we have something equally, if not more, exciting to unveil. Oh, oh, well, I'm excited. Yeah, it's not even like an open kimono here. Okay, oh. this, you know, the, the kimono is closed safely, <sighs> secured properly with with good quality ties. And now averting the eyes. All right, well, we have some business to take care of, as you who follow us on Twitter, or at least follow me on Twitter... I had just recently passed a thousand followers, so I gave away some miniatures, some old school miniatures, uh, dating all the way back to the prehistoric antediluvian days of Grenadier miniatures, all the way to, well, some Ralphartha miniatures. But uh, I had uh, about, what is it, 56 people yeah. sign up for this. Not so. even kidding. At literally, my mind equals blown. Yeah, so thank you all uh, if you're tuning in. All uh, the t Twitter folks who chimed in and jumped on board on this, thank you so much. I, you know, I'm just touched. I, I didn't even know 60 people knew who we were. Mm. Well, they do now. And uh, so, of course, uh, without further ado, we'll start uh, going through the followers and uh, picking out winners. So, uh, redetermined by random dice roll, which we've already uh, done. And so we'll start off with... The we had to get a random number generator in on this action because it was not an easily diceable number. No. And we, under no circumstances, anticipated a response this large. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, wow. the good thing is we'll be giving away more miniatures as the uh, count continues to go up. So if you didn't win anything this time, uh, don't fret. Uh, you'll have other chances to win some more exciting stuff, and uh, hopefully... Uh, you'll be the winner next time. But, oh, uh, yeah, this will happen again. So take heart. So to the chubby mind player. Ah, uh, yes, yes, the mind flayer. Okay, that was our, our first miniature selected as a victory. We yep, ready? So, yep, yeah, we're ready. So let's. Uh, who was the winner of the chubby mind player? Sir Frodo Skywalker. Yeah, congratulations. Yep, you got yourselves a mind player coming at you. And uh, the next one up was the Beholder, and that was... DM Dan. DM Dan, all right. Congratulations, DM Dan. You win yourself a prize 
of a second edition Ralph Partha AD&D Beholder. And it's beautiful. In fact, its beauty is is in its eyes. Oh, (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. So congrats to DM Dan and the big one. Oh, boy. Red Dragon. Congratulations. James Garrison. Yeah, you're the lucky winner. Of the Red Dragon. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah, the most impressive victory there. Uh, that, I think that caught us all off guard. That I, I had not realized that he had put up the Red Dragon. Uh. Yep, uh, giving that away. So we'll have those in the mail next week. And, uh, of course, uh, I'll also post these on Twitter so you can get me your addresses. I'll DM you all We will tonight. be seeking out contacts uh, and making sure that we've got correct addresses. Uh, so that these can go out tucked safely away. Yep, and so, well, that concludes our business part of the Dice Stream podcast, brought uh, to you business, by Dice. Uh, both business and pleasure. Yeah, that, just, thank you. And what an amazing list of names we had to take down mm-hmm. for this. And, you know, this this actually became cumbersome for a moment there, where, like, wow, that is a lot of names. Uh, yep. That we uh, there was a great deal of scribbling and uh, assigning of numbers and uh, you know back work that went into this. And wow, I just got to say thanks. That's it's absolutely awesome uh, that y'all know we are here. Yep. So uh, again, just uh, keep your uh, eyes peeled on that Twitter feed, and I'll be giving away some more as uh, my count goes up. All right, so uh, that done, uh, what is our topic tonight? Well, you might yes. be curious to ask. Tonight we're going to be doing a Dice or Screaming review of an old school module, Module N1, Against the Cult of the Reptile God by Douglas Niles, an adventure for character levels one through three. And of course, uh, with that comes the preamble, Terror by Night, the village of Orlane is dying. Once a small and thriving community, Orlane has become a maze of locked doors and frightened faces. Strangers are shunned. Trade has withered. Rumors flourish, growing wilder with each retelling. Terrified peasants flee their homes, abandoning their farms with no explanation. Others simply disappear. No one seems to know the cause of decay. Why are there no clues? Who skulks through the twisted shadows of the night? Who or what is behind the doom that has overtaken the village? It will take a brave and skillful band of adventurers to solve the dark riddle of Orlane. Now, uh, with that set up, um, while not as famous as the village of Hamlet, the village of Orlane is oh. well set within the world of Greyhawk. It is in the Rushmoors section. Yes. Near the Kingdom of Bissell, which sucks. <laughs> uh, sorry. No, not as much as the Kingdom of Hoover. Oh. Uh, but, but close. It, it sucks nearly that much. Uh. Yeah, so this uh, this module, uh, about, what, 30-some-odd pages? Yeah. 30-some-odd pages, the uh, pull-out maps, and, uh, of course, the ever-present uh, fold-out map on the cover. Yes, the inside cover uh, has the map key for uh, two-scale in standard square grids, with one square equaling 20 feet, uh, for the village of Orlane itself. And then the map pullout that came with it uh, covered the 
uh, actual dungeon in which you find the Cult of the Reptile God. Uh, the Golden Grain Inn interior, the Inn of the Slumbering Serpent interior, and the Temple of Merica. Yeah. Merica! Uh, yeah! Well, Merica, but hey, you know, a temple of an offshoot goddess of uh, Alona from the world of Greyhawk, so. Yeah, a pretty well uh, structured village, pretty much like uh, the village of Hamlet. A little less uh, detailed, perhaps, on each one, but. Uh, People are statted out fairly well, and it's pretty much a precursor to almost everything that was the first edition days with lots of wandering monster charts for the various areas in case the players go off the rails or go somewhere. You know, the DM is not completely without uh, tools to adjudicate and make small adventures and encounters while traipsing about through the countryside. So that's a big thing, and standard dungeon adventuring and all that is there as well. It included a rumors chart with the the traditional false leads. Yeah. Uh, Right there in the opening pages of uh, Module N1 are some partially true, uh, completely false, and uh, completely true rumors. And it's not a big list, but, you know, once again, this is one of those things where it hands the DM an opportunity to sow some confusion. Uh, And this may cause your players to go off on a wild goose chase, or to draw completely incorrect assumptions about what's going on. Uh, That's perfectly acceptable. I mean, in in the finest of old-school traditions, it was okay if things went off the rails, you know? If you give them a false lead and they chase that down with all their heart and they just won't give it up. Let them follow it through until, like, it becomes abundantly clear that hours later, you have failed. Yep. And it also has a pre-rolled character list at the back. So you're really stuck and you're just, you know, throwing this down for one shot sort of thing. Oh, yeah. If you're showing up at a convention table and you're just going to slam this out, pow! Characters in your hand. Right. And that was another big thing with the uh, first edition modules. They always kind of had that... Kind of like, well, if you're not prepared, here's some pre-prepared uh, characters for you to start adventuring with so you can just get right into the action. But these days, you know, people show up with their own characters, and, you know, whether it's a Warforged Dragonborn Necromancer or, you know, a uh, Tithling uh, Rogue Fighter, you know, you've got it covered, so have at. Yeah, I mean, people are a little more ready to invest time in their own characters mm-hmm. and tailor it, uh, I, I think, these days. You know, oh, yeah. much more, much more desire to handcraft. It is, it uh, was in the days. But pickup games back in the day, uh, long before, you know, that was a term on WoW, you know, before the, the, the pug group. Yeah, big ups. Uh, you know, gamers had pug groups where, like, hey, you know, I know three people who want a game. Well, what do we do? Well, I don't know. We'll think of something when we get together. <laughs> Yeah, and unlike Village of Hamlet, this uh, was about 1982. This came out, so I got my hands on it around uh, 84. Uh, we played it a couple times uh, with the group. Various uh, cast of characters in our regular gaming group showed up for it, so it was a lot of fun. We've each DM'd this one at some point or another, and we've each played through it uh, at some point or another, and in every instance, enjoyed it. And it was always a fun module. Yeah. And what makes it fun is, of course, from the intro, you know, there's something different going on here than just a, okay, there's a dungeon at the edge of the village, and, you know, monsters are creeping out and stuff. Hole in the dirt, hack and bash. No, it requires some investigation to get started. Yeah. Because 
the path of the adventure is not very clear. It's not uh, 100%. So, In fact, it highlights in the key areas that are intended for the DM to read only, it highlights the fact that the players are not in the know about what's going on. And mm-hmm. then most of the, the villagers both... Well, there are cult members amongst the villagers. Yeah, there's a cult here. The cult members, ironically, are somewhat friendlier in aspect than the non-cult members. Because the non-cult members are pretty much getting stranger danger, you know, fear over what's happened to their community. So they are a little frightened, a little standoffish, and not too keen on total strangers wandering in and asking all kinds of questions. Whereas the cult members already know what's going on, and oh no, everything is fine, you know. Well, just some scurrilous rumors you heard in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy's always talking crap. Can't trust him. Don't worry. Hey, hang out with the place that's uh, run by some friends of ours. Good prices, good meals. <laughs> yep, and you know, there's various ways that this adventure can unfold. Now, the adventurers, if they're very skillful. And highly uh, suspicious. I would say a good deal of paranoia goes a long way in this adventure. <laughs> they can ascertain who is and who is not a cult member early on and start to find out clues to get themselves either ingratiated or follow somebody to the lair of the reptile god. Against the cult of the reptile god pretty much tells you that things aren't going to be normal in this adventure. And of course, the other ways are as if the players aren't cautious. And, you know, just carelessly uh, take of the advice of the friendly villagers. They can find themselves abducted by the cult during the night. Yeah, I mean, they may lose a member or two members or, you know, even the whole crew get yeah, hauled off. they can off. get their food poisoned and with a sleep drug and the next thing they know they're waking up in the dungeons and the game changes to now a breakout. Yeah, it could go very badly right out of the gate. Or it could drag on for quite a while while they're investigating, uh, and it all hinges on you know, like key decisions they make uh, without any serious information. You know, the, the level of their investigation and the degree of their suspicion will have a lot to do with the choices they make. Yep. Uh, so this is also, you know, I, I'm going to, this is not a criticism of the module, but it's a tough game face moment for a DM where you've got secrets to keep. Uh, and you cannot have, like, a little facial tick giving you yeah. as your tell, where you're like, his left eye's twitching! He's lying! He's smirking! He's smirking! <laughs> He's gonna hose us! It's happening! Everybody sorts out! Peaceful village, indeed! Thanks a lot, PA! Yeah. <laughs> so, trust issues. Yes, you have... Two of ear! Well... And, you know, spoiler alert, at the end, the Reptile God is, of course, a spirit naga. Yeah, all right, we're just going to give that away right out of the gate. Okay, you know, what you're really dealing with here. The villagers uh, through charm and some actual participants who worship it as some type of god. It's also aided by some troglodytes. Yes, uh, but see it as a powerful lizard being like unto, you know, uh, some minor deity for themselves. Yep. Uh, so they've turned to it. Uh, because it's clearly having things work out well for it mm-hmm. uh, with its little cult. Uh, the charm gaze of the spirit Naka is especially dangerous to lower level characters. Yes. One failed save and bam, you are on its side doing its bidding. 
And yeah, you're not going to massacre the whole party or turn against your friends, but you are going to be under the sway of this creature, which means that your will is suborned to it. Yeah, the charm spell will not so much transform you into like automatic evil, uh, so much as cause you to be disposed towards the Naga as a friend. You know, just, no, no, I mean, you, you just haven't seen the light. Uh, I mean, if you knew what I knew, you would understand. Just, you're like, come here with me, look her in the eye, look, look into those eyes, and you will see. <laughs> just, yep, they give a section right here on how to handle the charm player characters and a captured party. As well as, uh, you know, this can end in various ways with a party completely being taken over by the cult and then you have to create another group of player characters to rescue <laughs> your former player characters. <laughs> uh, and that's, again, another great thing about this module is that knowing that it was coming out in like 82 uh, and the game was still a very new thing, DMs were, you know, that just... Yeah, it was. It was, it was a tough gig because there was not a lot of uh, backstory, not a lot of history, not a lot of uh, study groups to like how to DM. Uh, yeah, you really had to find your own style, and the preparation they provided you with in this module did wonders to help you get through it and use it adeptly instead of just kind of, you know, uh, crashing through it haphazardly. Yeah. Like the, uh, and there is some that are just. Wicked people in here like the evil priest Gareth Primo, hmm. the cleric with his ham warhammer that's shaped like a serpent, beating people down with that. And you know, of course, once you do get into it, uh, bone snappers. I'm just gonna say that. That's probably you know ridiculous to even bother to mention this, but uh, you know, I had also like at at the time that I first saw this module, I had also very recently seen the. Uh, the very first, uh, it was Friday Night Videos, uh, which I believe came on at like 11 o'clock or something like that. Yeah, 11.30. 11.30 at night. After the news. Uh, and this was before the age of MTV. Uh, MTV had not even happened yet. Okay, that's... Oh, boy, giving away the age there. There was oh. no such thing as MTV in my day. And then when there was MTV, it still played music. What was that, 93 it came out first? <laughs> no. Uh... That was in the 80s. 83, I mean, yeah. Yeah. 83, I think, was the first. But, but uh, yeah. Friday Night Videos, they ran Union of the Snake. So when I ran this module, I always had that song going through my head. Yeah. And it was like Duran Duran. Duran Duran. Yeah, and uh, of course, the Naga has such a great name. Uh, Explicticus Defila. Yeah. Uh, which, or Defilus. Defilus. Explictica Defilus. Uh, Angrily or arrogantly awaits the party in her alcove. Yeah, and boy, that's not an easy encounter. That fireball at low levels. Oh, yeah. yeah. If your party's uh, like first through third level, and hopefully, you know, like the majority are at least up to that like 15, 16 hit point threshold, maybe, for your, your fighter types, that fireball almost ensures fatalities. Because even though uh, the Spirit Naga in 1st edition had uh, magic user spells as per a 5th level mage and cleric spells as per a 4th level cleric, a 5th level fireball is 5 to 30 points of damage. That's 5 6-siders. Uh, yeah, it was a meeting around uh, about 15 to 20. 
Yeah, assuming that a save is failed. Yeah. You know, if they do, if nobody gets out of the way of that, that's going to take out most of the party. Mm-hmm. Unless they have cleverly ironed out some way to get in there very quickly and bum rush the Naga. Also, making it hard is avoiding the gaze of the Naga itself, <laughs> taking a minus four to hit. So that. Yeah, fighting that while you avoid the gaze. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's your Medusa level moment there because. You know, all of a sudden, your tanks are up there wailing away at it. They try to, you know, look at the thing they're trying to hit, uh, and bam! Uh, I, I don't, I don't really feel like fighting anymore, man. I, yeah. I just wanna, I just wanna hang out. You know, I mean, she, she doesn't seem like that bad about. Oh her. yeah, well, and also the poison bite. <laughs> yeah, which uh, that's reserved for those who do not fall for the permanent gaze. If, if something is a major enough threat, just pow, chomp. And then there's also an upgrade for the monster, which was, I thought at the time, unique, and it became more standard as we went on. But uh, for stronger parties, they said that the above uh, sequence of balance adds some uh, mud vipers or crocodiles and also uh, change the spells around yes. a little bit to make the encounter a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, there were... Options laid apart just for the DM, uh, you know, pre-assuming. And it's not like the party is completely without allies. Yeah. This is something worth spelling out. Uh, in the town of Orlane, there are people who have not become members of the cult who are looking for leadership. They're looking for someone who might have, like, a, a group of people at, at their back. If they l- give the impression through their deeds that they are strong enough and dedicated enough to take on the cult and win. Once that bond of trust is formed, the party can have allies who are reasonably strong. And I mean, they they carefully placed a few extra warriors, you know, some people with some skills, some uh, missile weapon abilities, you know, crossbows, and uh, oh, there's a seventh level mage who's a bit of a hermit in town, and he's elderly, so, you know, this is not a fast movement guy. But if he's absolutely sure the party is on the right path and that they've got the guts to do this and win it, they can get him on their side. And then you got some magic to back you up. Yeah, Ocas, he doesn't have a lot of offensive spells being a sage, but he does have a spell magic that he's very handy with. And a minor globe of invulnerability, which nerfs that old fireball. Yep. Yeah, and that's a big one. Okay, so building alliances is worth the party's time. They don't know that going in. But right. Once, it, it's once also, they get an impression that they're going into great danger, uh, if they can get inside information on the cult, they'll know. Wow, we need all the help we can get. Yeah, there kind of is a little path of victory to victory on this one that makes it a lot easier. So, but it, you don't have to take it. No. Again, the module put a lot of choices in front of people. Right, and so it's how you uh, run it, and primarily how the DM feels that the party's doing. If they're really having a hard time, then. There are some people who can come in and give a little helping hand, especially if the whole party ends up getting captured early on, but not charmed. There is a possibility of some people coming in and doing a breakout, or, you know, as they're wandering through the dungeons fighting troglodytes and some of the monsters they're in, doing a uh, a back dungeon kind of uh, prison break (laughs) as they're making their way out trying to find their gear and stuff like that. They can get a little help there, but... Again, it's all how it wants the DM wants it to roll out. And, you know, it's one of those modules that has a high level of lethality, 
based right off of the stats, but that doesn't tell the whole story. And so it is a kind of narrative story waiting to be told through the actions of the players. The stage is set and all the players are there, so it's up to the DM and the group of players to make use of those. And that's what makes it a fun module and a lot different, a kind of akin to the Secret of the Salt March, where it was a lot of a different venue than what had come before, where like the village of Hamlet was pretty much like, well, there's this moat house at the end where we stay away from bad memories <laughs> and all that, but... You know, there's been some strange activity, strangers going there, yeah. weird lights at night. And then the next thing you know, you're in the Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. And that <laughs> is no joke. Uh, uh, yeah, that one's a tough one. Uh, now, against the Cult of the Reptile God, similar in concept, uh, but a much less, uh, a much smaller scope, okay? It does not pan out into a big... Uh, several module series. No. It simply is a standalone, uh, and it, of course, like all the standalone modules, it provides you with locations in-game, uh, but of course, as a standalone module, it can be plucked whole cloth and inserted into almost any campaign setting you choose. And it's still awesome. Uh, it just literally is a perfect example of the one-shot module. With yep. more than just hole in the dirt, go kill things. Yeah, it's it takes about I think to play it out well, about three maybe four sessions. That would be about right in my estimation. I mean, a very canny party with an abundant uh, time uh, to game could probably nail it in two. You know, one session to really get their sea legs under them, find out what's going on, and uh, get involved and then a second session to do the big climactic uh, mop-up. Could be done, but it's more likely that with the red herrings that are available, the wandering side encounters, uh, and the highly contentious nature of uh, both good and converted cult members, you know, the, the good people of the village versus the cult members of the village, they'll be bouncing back and forth trying to piece together what's going on for a little bit longer than just one or two sessions. Yeah, and it makes it makes for a different uh, approach to gaming, and it started to show that, you know, D&D was more than just a hack and slash game. There was a lot of intrigue in this, and also a lot of diplomacy and negotiation before the rules were really standardized. In the words of Korgoth of Barbaria, I didn't know there would be this much talking. Yeah, so Korgoth would be rather bored and probably uh, set fire to half the village. <laughs> uh, oh, Korgoth. Yeah, and some of the people you don't want to kill because they're not really members of the cult. They're just charmed. Yeah, some are not. Uh, and that's just it. The, the cult itself is made up of people who are both uh, charmed and under the control of the Naga and others who are straight-up evil people who are willing converts. You, look, you don't even need to charm me. You had me at evil. <laughs> <laughs> I am yours. Yeah. Let's do this. So, um, you know, kudos to the early days that, uh, you know, are often typified as just dungeon delves and um, hack and slash. The Cult of the Reptile God was a kind of sign of the times that things were changing and players wanted more. And you just couldn't throw the typical, like, okay, well, you're in a village, and you hear these weird rumors from this old tower, 
Yeah, good comparison with the Saltmarsh series, because despite yeah. the fact that it starts with a haunted house on the hill, it unfolds into... Uh, now, that one unfolded into two additional modules, yeah. but... Uh, point being is that there's more going on. There's a story to be told. There are things going on, whether the players are there or not. Events are moving without them. Right, and, and this is the pl not the great. DM's story to tell. It's the players to narrate. Yeah, they're in there to find out things. They're they're on a mission of discovery, and the DM is you know the interpreter, the guide. You know, you're there to to help parse out how this unfolds for them, based on the decisions they make. But that kind of module style, it was it was very refreshing at that time. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't love a dungeon bash, because I mean, who doesn't love? Well, uh, yeah, it turns into that at the end. I mean, you get your oh yeah, you you you'll get your dun your dungeon time in, because there are two layers to the dungeon. Mm -hmm. uh, dungeon level one is comparatively simple uh, and pretty well fleshed out. Uh, there are some challenging areas that in, involve water and uh, flooding, uh, and those are a little more complicated in terms of movement and adjudication. But they're not, you know, implausible. I mean, the, no, the, the no, DM key, the little sections that are dedicated for DM reading only, many of those uh, provide you with uh, ways in which to challenge the characters based on the situation in those rooms. But... Uh, the second level of the dungeon gets somewhat tougher, so... Yeah, and it it does increase in difficulty, not much in the similar, but it's not as, uh... I don't want to put this, uh... It's not as uh, dungeon bashy as some. Correct. It's not like, you know, okay, one room you got five goblins, next room you've got, you know, two skeletons hanging around, you know, on chains, you know, you don't know what's going on, you know. Why, why? Yeah, a considerable level of creativity uh, went into... Crafting this one. I mean, i got to give my hats off to Douglas Niles. This one, you know, it stands out to us as a moment of, of really interesting writing in early gaming. Yeah, so if you can track yourself down a copy, I mean, it's available as a PDF, and uh, you may be able to scrounge one up on uh, eBay or, uh, you know, various areas or come across one in the back lot of a store. You know, definitely it's worth investing in, even if you play 5th edition or Pathfinder. I mean, it's oh, easily... Yeah transferable. I mean, all you have to do is basically... Many of the monsters are still present in yep. current editions, and you can scale them according to levels. So if your party is now like 4th, 5th level, you can upscale those troglodyte encounters and level up the villagers and, you know, increase the overall strength of the Naga. All of this can be converted with relative ease, which i got to give D&D &D a big you know, at the later editions, I, I have my contentious issues with them. But that said, there's a lot of good DM tools out there now. Yeah, and there's a, a plethora of new monsters, too, that you can stock with it to surprise old hands as well. Oh, that would fit perfectly yeah. within this. I can just uh, know that there, you know, is plenty to do. And many, many options out there that weren't available at the time that this was printed. So, again, it's all about what you want to do, whether you're into old school or modern gaming. You know, it... It's a thrill, and it is a bit of a retrospective, and that's why we brought it to you to talk about tonight. Oh, yeah. We will do other module examinations at other times. Uh, I, you know, I, all right, not to give away everything too soon. Uh, <clears throat> there's A day is going to come we're going to go over Salt Marsh. Yeah, yeah, we will. It's we will happen. definitely uh, be doing Salt Marsh in the near... 
Not too distant future. But, yeah, uh, not, not too distant, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen because it's, it's a fantastic module series and it's getting a retreat. So I am just very excited to see it uh, being reintroduced because I, we've started campaigns uh, with that series yeah. more than once. Uh, because it's just a great first-level intro. If you've got a bunch of newbies, it is a classic. So that's that's a great one, and we're going to cover that another time. Right on. So, well, again, uh, as we're winding it up here, we want to thank our winners, uh, Sarah Proto Skywalker, uh, James Garrison, and DM Dan. Uh, yeah, bravo. Thank Congrats. you all, and thanks, everybody, for uh, liking and following us, and uh, hopefully... You can uh, keep up to date with us on our more of our giveaways. Uh, my wife is giving away Pinch the Goblin. Oh, so I make know. sure that uh, you look up that little <laughs> so fellow if you'd like cute. to have him. If you didn't win here, get over there and uh, maybe yeah, you can win yeah. yourself Pinch the Goblin. You can sit around on your table and uh, pinch your dice. Yeah, little Pinch the Goblin. Oh, he is just a he is a classic. You you got to see some pictures. It, Trust yep. me, it'll, I can't do it justice describing it, but it is a goblin-y little goblin who is just uh, alternately, you know, classic Pathfinder-esque. Yeah. Uh, and darn cute at the same time. I, I don't know how it manages to be both. <laughs> That's true. We don't know. <laughs> so again, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook group at The Dice of Screaming and uh, look us up there. Or you can get a hold of us directly on Twitter. We, I am at uh, Death Hand Gaming. That's D E T H Gaming. And. Oh, Magi Vox. And Mike's not the Twitter beast that I am, but uh, he is there occasionally. I, I make occasional appearances. I will pop in uh, and, you know, in an idle hour uh, and then vanish again in the mist. Exactly. So just to get all of us there, let us know if you are there's something you'd like to see or something you'd like to talk about. You can also leave us a message on it. Anchor, and we've also expanded our Anchor coverage as well, I've been informed, to a couple other platforms recently. So oh, have we? Yeah. How wonderful. Excellent. So uh, get a hold of us and leave us a message on Anchor if you can, and uh, we'll uh, put you up on the podcast. So, all right, well, we've ran our gamut, we've exhausted ourselves, and so we've we come to a close. Squandered another perfectly good half hour. Yes, we have. <laughs> so hope you enjoyed us, and uh, shout out to all our friends out there. So keep up the good work, and may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.